people don't want to feel like they're doing it alone, right? They don't want to feel like they're hung out to dry. And so if we can prioritize answering people's questions, being there when they need us, whatever it might be, whether that's personally or professionally, it's huge and it really, really matters. Welcome, everyone, and thank you so much again for joining Jeremy and I for another episode of Navigate's People First podcast. Uh, we're excited for you to be with us today. I uh, also want to say thank you to everyone for the kind notes and uh, just following along our podcast. Love getting the notes from a podcast in Bolton, Montana that we did at our national convention. And really just appreciate everyone listening in and uh, give us some uh, insights and updates on all that they're doing. And uh, we're excited to uh, get started today. Jay, the summer's over. Give me a highlight, man. Uh, for me, it was taking a little time off. My wife and I were able to get away for about a about a ten day vacation with the weekends. Uh, got a little rest and relaxation. Did a couple things out of our comfort zone, and uh, generally just got time to decompress. Got time to not be at work. And where we went, we were uh, didn't have any internet, which was. Uh, the greatest thing ever. Honestly, I'm a, I'm a big fan of going to places where I, I have no connection now. Yeah. I remember sitting in the executive meeting, like in the first of June and said, you all have to take a vacation. So get it on your calendars and do it. And I get this like look from our executive team. And it was like, no, you're literally going to put it on your, go do it. And uh, you got to do that. I would say my summer highlight too, is just the travel, spend time with my wife and my daughter we spent an awesome time in Bozeman, Montana. Uh, it was just fabulous. That place is one of my my favorite places in the country. And having over 150 some people and clients and our consultants out there with us for for three and a half days, it was just gorgeous weather, amazing people in Bozeman, and just an experience that a uh, very memorable moment. But summer's gone, and, and here we go. So at Navigate for over a decade, we have put our priorities every single year on our walls in our office. And consistently, our number one priority is our people. So people first, thus the name of our podcast. This podcast, as we look to see how we create a people first culture in our organization, is our topic today. Jay, when you think about building a culture first organization, where does your head go? What examples do you have? What do you think about how we're doing it and navigate and how we're connecting that into the work that we do every day? It starts with the people in charge, right? It starts at the top. You've set the tone that this organization is going to be committed to doing the right things, not just for our clients and our participants, but our people. There's plenty of evidence out there that shows that a people-first mentality drives culture of the organization. Culture of the organization can drive success of the organization. So how do we achieve that? We achieve that through buy-in of leadership starting at the top and education and support for our managers to turn from a manager mentality to a coach mentality. And I think that's where a lot of this is going to start. You've got to have the commitment. You've got to have some resources, but mostly you've got to have the people out there committed to the people who they're managing, who they're leading. That's how you drive a, a, a people-first culture. Creating that space for that supportive environment and not only coach, but be coached. Absolutely. Right? And being able to do that. Had some great coaches and mentors in my life for sure. But then 
taking and, and listening, I think, is one of the, the main reasons why our culture is as good as it is at Navigate and why we spend a disproportionate amount of time in there is that we listen. And we listen to the passions of our people and then say, where does your passion align with us? And then how can we put that to good use for serving others? And I think that's that, that connection is where it's kind of fun. One of our favorite values at Navigate is uh, we are family. Now, I'm excited to introduce you to two wonderful friends who I consider part of my family. They definitely are part of my family because they're from Iowa. And, you know, I'm going to drive that home because they're originally from Iowa. Um, I'm going to point that out. So you're kind of family, right? But I'd like to just introduce you guys to our guests tonight. I call them the dynamic duo. Jackie and Three Carpenter um, have been in this space forever. And they've been working in this space when it comes to culture and hospitality and a service-first mentality. And we thought about, you know, doing a podcast around creating a people-first culture on the People First podcast. How about we talk to the people that wrote a book called People First? <laughs> Jackie and Three, it's awesome to have you guys join us. Thank you for being here. Excited for our, our guests to, to meet you. So perhaps maybe just give a little bit of background and, and, and introduce yourselves and, and give our, our listeners a little bit of uh, the dynamic duo. Gosh, Troy, Jeremy, thank you so much. So obviously I'm Three Carpenter. This is Jackie Carpenter. Uh, Jackie and I have spent our entire uh, lives basically in the private club industry, you know, kind of really high levels of experience. And so obviously the employee side is what we're going to spend a lot of time talking about. But obviously we really do that with the customers and we've been really blessed to be kind of in that space all of our careers. Jackie and I are Iowa kids, as Troy mentioned earlier. I'm from Newton, Iowa. Jackie is from way northeast Iowa, a little town called Lime Springs. If you know where that is, you get bonus points. <laughs> Without question. And uh, so Jackie got her undergrad in hospitality at Iowa State University, got her master's degree at the University of North Texas, also in hospitality. And Jackie spent a lot of her career in operations, working at some of the finest clubs around the country, Colorado, Iowa, Texas, Nashville, uh, some really extraordinary places. For me, I started working after college at the University of Iowa uh, at my hometown club in Newton, Iowa. I had some really great opportunities. Ended up in Des Moines, Iowa at a club called Wakanda, then Dallas, then Nashville, and um, back to the Quad Cities, uh, which was great fun. That is in Iowa. And then most recently, I am the new general manager at Edina Country Club in Edina, Minnesota, uh, Jackie and I will tell you that we have a lot of things that we think similarly about. Obviously, the people first mentality is the core of that, but we kind of look at it differently. For me, my role in operations has always been that of being kind of the 30,000 foot sort of vision where Jackie's kind of the checklist person and the person who kind of charges into the fire as it pertains to operations. And and then I should also tell you that after Jackie's uh, career as an operator in the club industry, about 10 or 12 years ago, she translated that into being the editor of one of the four publications in the private club industry, which is called the Private Club Advisor. Yeah, so I still get to work in the industry, but I don't have to wear the pantyhose and high heels and work the nights and weekends. Exactly. So it really worked out. <laughs> and I don't wear the pantyhose and high heels. Yeah, I you know. So anyway. We might edit that out. It's fine. So Jackie, when you think about the work that you're doing inside you know, the club, I, I, I think about your industry and I think about customer expectations. I think about the level of that expectation. And you think about the mindset of treating employees like customers, 
But you've got to build a staff that is loyal, that is trusted, that's engaged because of the customer expectations that you have. Maybe talk to us a little bit about that, of how you go about building your team and and how you're you're bringing that together and that people first mentality. Yeah, Troy, it's really interesting because I think during COVID, a lot of people discovered that they, no matter how great their business is, their service, their product, whatever it might be, if you don't have employees, uh, you can't really impact the end result, right? You can't really have a thriving organization. And so, um, you know, creating any kind of organization, especially in the private club industry, where, like you said, customer expectations are crazy high, sometimes even unrealistic, right? And are unreasonable. And um, creating that really starts with the employees. And when people are engaged and they're happy and they're they're loyal and into it, you know, they can then create a better outcome. Well, and I, I think the power of many, right, yeah. has such a huge impact in this example. If you were the Michael Jordan of leaders in whatever business that you were in charge of, you just can't do enough to be able to touch all of your customers, all of your people. But when you take and create this very strong foundation of employees who are of the same mindset, who really want to create these experiences, you become so much stronger and so much more capable of reaching everybody at the same consistent high levels of experience. And and in our industry, I'm not sure that there's any industry where the idea of experience and high levels of experience are any more important because, you know, they pay dues just to use our services in addition to what else they they pay as they go. Well, and another thing, Troy, a lot of times companies do uh, spend a lot of time on the the upper layers of the organization, you know, maybe the department heads or the, the senior managers. But the reality is the line level staff are the ones that are interacting with your customers or they might be the final, you know, connection to the customers or the final piece of the service. And if they're not doing it, it doesn't matter how great it is at the top. It's not happening, right? So that's where this sort of mentality of really prioritizing your employees, listening to people, as you mentioned, creating a positive, upbeat culture can really drive that home through all layers of the organization. We talk about culture, combining that with care, and then combining that with the community and bringing those variables together to engage folks in what they're doing every single day, but then also what they're doing outside the walls of the organization too. So I think that's one of the things that's happened, you know, significantly to the positive over the last 24, 36 months is that people look at the whole person. They're looking at not only who I'm working with, but inside the walls or remotely, but who they are outside as well. And how are we engaging perhaps their passion or even just being empathetic to that situation that they might have and being able to connect um, and thinking about that um, within um, how that builds a culture. You guys have developed you know, this five-step roadmap. I'd love to dig in here because I have my stat and data man right here. We have <laughs> our, our features and products when I think about well-being. So I kind of want to get into this a little bit. So talk to me about when you're thinking about creating that positive employee experience, where do you guys start? What do you build upon? Yeah. So there's lots of different names, but Troy, when you write a book, um, you have to use sexy words. So I'm so glad you started off with these C phrases of care and community because that's how we kind of reference these topics in our book. So when we were working on creating this process, um, everything kept coming to the employee life cycle, right? Because it starts at the beginning and it's got to be evident all the way through. People first can't be just 
something that you quip and then you don't actually live it out. And so um, we kind of developed these five steps, but the core of the five steps was all focused around pure human connection. And what that really is, is the thing I think everyone's really starving for is this you know, where you shut out the distractions, um, which doesn't happen very often. You put your phones down for a today. second. Yeah, you tr- get away from your phones, you step out from your computer screens and you see someone, you know, you, you hear them, you value them, you, you say, I'm with you right now, right? This is my undivided attention. Um, and so those are kind of the crux of everything, but we based it out into five steps and I'll just kind of talk you through the five steps and then we can kind of dig into them more if you'd like. But um, so the first step is credibility. And this is really your brand. This is your message to the outside world. And it isn't your brand or your message, um, your credibility as to why you're a great company, why you're a great um, service or why you make a great product or in our case, like why someone should join your club. This is why you're a great employer. Why should somebody want to come and work for you? And just being honest, that's something that not a lot of businesses or employers are really paying attention to or hadn't in the past. Today, you have to. Because if you're not controlling that message, somebody else is. And a lot of times it's former employees, disgruntled employees, or current employees, which may or may not be a good thing, right? So your credibility has to be a message of, trust and you're being truthful, very authentic. It is something about why you're a great employer. And the key really that we kind of learned through some rough patches over the course of the last few years with the pandemic is people want to believe that they are working for an employer that they can trust to do the right thing. And that's kind of the baseline for that. So credibility, sort of like recruiting, right, is your credibility and your outward message. Second is candor. So the second step is when you're now hiring people or interviewing people, what is that message? And we believe that candor is extremely important, that you want to share with people what it really is like to work at your organization, what you really expect of someone, what they can expect of you as an employer in return. Anybody uh, out there ever been in an interview that felt like an interrogation? Same. Not a good experience, not something that you're proud of, and probably not, they're probably not going around telling people great things about why you're a good employer, right? And why someone should want to work for you. So we believe those interactions when we're interviewing need to be a positive experience for the candidate as well, and should really be um, a transparent conversation, not an interrogation. When that happens, uh, people are much more likely to be more connected to the core values and to your mission and even to you um, as well. So the third step then uh, is cultivation. And this is really onboarding, but isn't cultivation like a much sexier word than onboarding? No. So uh, <laughs> onboarding is when we're bringing people um, on onto our teams. And so often people looked at this period of time, the first 90 days as like the sink or swim period where we have to weed out the weak ones. And that is not the case anymore. We cannot be treating people that way. It can't be a fail-safe or poor hiring, right? Instead, our onboarding period has to be this time of really easing the transition where we're really nurturing people, we're answering their questions. Um, It's very gentle. We have this picture uh, when we do a presentation of a girl pushing a guy into the swimming pool because it's like sink or swim, right? And it can't, it it really can't be like that anymore because the truth is people are going to go somewhere else. They don't want to feel that uncomfortable nature of being new and feeling like they're drowning or being pushed to drown, right? 
So that's kind of the phrase or the, the that period of time of um, credibility, sorry, cultivation is really bringing people on in a loving and nurturing way. Um, the next phase then is commitment. And this is all about getting our people to own their jobs, right? And that's really the goal mm-hmm. is getting our people to o- take ownership. And what we have found, you guys, that just blows our mind is so often all people need to hear is be given permission from their manager or their supervisor to own it. Like, hey, you've got this, own it, like take this on. And a lot of times they're hesitant or they don't have the confidence maybe to do that. And so this commitment period is really where you as an employer are showing you're committed to this person and saying like, hey, you've got this, I'm gonna encourage you, empower you. Um, you, But you're also really connecting them within the organization. And that means introducing them to other people, helping them feel more comfortable and confident um, with the people that they're working with. And even like in our examples at the private clubs, it's introducing them to people outside of the little walls, you know, of their department. And so when they pass people, you know, in the hallways or they see people in other different um, departments, they know who they are. And it's not this uncomfortable thing. Um, Oh, I failed to mention this in the last section. And this is my favorite thing to just remind people that when you start a new job, uh, you feel stupid. Right. It's uncomfortable. <laughs> you don't know what you're doing. You don't know anybody. You don't know where the bathroom is. People ask you questions and like you're like, I have no idea. It's very uncomfortable. And we often forget that. And so whatever we can do to make sure that our people are comfortable and we're easing that transition mm-hmm. and we're taking away that kind of stress and anxiety in that onboarding period is important. But then that also continues into this phase as well in the commitment phase is helping make it easier for people to own their jobs. And again, sometimes just giving them permission to do so. And then the last step, the last piece of the puzzle, so to speak, Troy, is care. And you mentioned this earlier, but care is a big chunk of it all. And what's humorous is its own step is care, but really it's evident in all the other steps. Mm-hmm. Because if you don't care, uh, it's it's not going to impact the result the way that you want, right? And so when we care about our people, we are seeing their investment. We're investing in our employees. Um, we're seeing their value so then they can produce value. And it's really about showing that we're loyal to our employees so they can be loyal to us. And that includes rewards and recognition and really recognizing that they're human beings and they have needs and feelings and wants and all of those things as well. So those five steps, again, are credibility, candor, cultivation, commitment, and care. And while they're important all on their own little chunk, uh, their own little part of the wheel, they're also all connected. And if one of them's out of sync, like if you basically lie during an interview and tell people, hey, you don't have to work nights and weekends, and then they do, you're impacting your credibility, right? You're showing that you are someone you can't be trusted. You're also showing that you don't care. So while they're all important individually, you have to kind of keep that. They're all cyclical, right? They all impact each other all the time. Three, when you, when you think about those five Cs, is there one in particular that that you're connected to personally more as, as you talked about, there's the checklist folks, there's the linear thinkers, there's the vision thinkers. Where, where do you, where do you align with that connectivity on building that culture and what, what draws to you? You know, it's funny because all are important, but the care one probably always has resonated me with me the most, because I think that one is such a core value of who you are as a leader. Right. And so for me, as I started this new job, as an example, it was important that everyone on their 
on our team realized I cared about them both personally and professionally. I cared about their success. I cared about their growth. I cared about them beyond even working at our business. I just got a text right before this from someone that I connected with a new potential job in Arizona because her and her fiance were moving there kind of for their life. And, you know, moving and helping those people beyond and showing people we care about them more not just as workers, has probably always been the one that's been maybe the most powerful foundational piece. And as Jackie mentioned, it really is related through the others. Well, and I think true to you, if you show that you genuinely care um, and you're authentic about it, people are a little more forgiving if maybe you goof up along the way, right? Or something gets a little out of whack or you promised them that they were going to get you know, they go to this course and then something changed and they didn't get to do it or whatever. But that care piece. And and I also think too, if you don't care, it's a lot harder to overcome, right? Right. And and people today want to work for employers that care. Jay, when you think about the effectiveness of that middle manager on the culture, you've built multiple teams inside Navigate and Principal Financial Group, various other places. But like, when you think about the effectiveness of that middle manager in a culture, where, where does your mind go? I, to me, it's, it's probably the most important thing when it comes to culture. Any, any person, the way they interact with their job is through the work, but their work's facilitated through the manager. So your experience at a job is in the lens of the person who, who's guiding your work. So I can't say enough about how important it is for the manager to be an adherence to those five values. They're, every single thing in there is something that every single manager should understand and try to put into action on a regular basis. And if you're just going to pick one, to me, I agree. Three, caring. A lot else can be forgiven if you have a genuine vibe that your manager cares about you. And whether or not they can fulfill every every promise, that's okay try to do your best. But if the the, the care is there, I know this person cares about me, Things happen, but you know the the manager is critical to how any employer views their job. So can't say enough about how how important it is for for managers to be in alignment with those values. And I think one of the things that within our industry is giving those managers the tools and yeah. resources to be able to, quite frankly, communicate. I mean, communication comes down to probably. of all problems is is through communication, right? Uh, One way or another. I think providing any insight that you can on how people show up, how people communicate to one another, what their personality is like, is a multiplier in the variable of how we can do and create a better culture. Couldn't agree more. And and that's why we both developed the the Navigate You survey for our clients and we utilize it internally. I I remember when we first rolled it out and we we were starting to use it, it it's so much fun. Like the first part of it is just so. Oh, first part of it's answering questions. The the sharing of the results is the most fun thing that I think you can do with the people that work with you and go. Oh, that's Jim, and that's his personality traits look like this, and that's one of the reasons that he behaves this way. Is that that's how he views the world. I think any insight you can get into the people that you work with, people that work for you, the people that you work for. Is, is just a little bit extra to make that communication smooth and to make that leap of empathy that all managers should take to heart is, put another way, I'm a big believer that managers should put their people first. 
Your job as a manager is to make is to take care of your people. And how do you take care of your people? You understand them. You understand what their needs are. And that that in order to do that, you need empathy and some guidance. Jackie and three, I'll I'll throw this to you in a second, but in the book, you guys talk about um, sitting across the table, right? And so using that as an example, I've been thinking about this podcast and thinking about, Jay, how many times you and I have sat across the table and we're trying to build certain things uh, when it comes to our industry and technology. We're sitting across the table from an HR person who's saying, I've got 19 point solutions. I need to bring things together. How can we support our managers? So when you're sitting across the table, that listening and actually hearing individual to me is again that multiplier of a good culture. One of the things that that I've always been amazed with three at any club that he's ever been in in Texas, Arizona, wherever, he knows every single employee's first and last name. And he can probably go to their where their hometown is too. I mean, you can walk from the person washing the dishes to the person, you know, who's the president of the or whatever, three knows every single person. And to me, that might seem little, but that is just a caring opportunity and commitment to that individual to say, I see you, I appreciate you, I'm showing up, I'm calling you by your first name. When you guys sit across the table, you give some great examples in the book, maybe touch on that a little bit, Jackie and Three, when you talk about like that sitting across the table and, and how that helps build that people first culture. You hit on so many great things, right? But um, it's really about having that connection and that relationship with our people because, again, so many things, but we want to know them. When we know people better, both inside and outside of work, we can better manage them, right? Like if I walk in and you know when something's wrong with me because you know, I'm like, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? You look, are you not feeling well? Like if something happened at home, you can quickly jump to, that is also another area of three's brilliance. Like he has this incredible knack to like spot when an employee walks in and he's like, hey, you seem off. What's going on, right? So that is important. I'll give you an example, Troy. I think I really like what you said. And thank you, by the way, for the nice compliment. But, you know, yesterday this happened. I mean, so every day I'm living the life where I'm working with our people and trying to help them be better. And one of my assistant managers walked by me in the office hallway and I hadn't seen him yesterday. And as he walked by, I stopped him dead I was like, are you okay? I hadn't said hello to him. He hadn't said hello to me. And I could just see something in his eye because I'd gotten to know him pretty well. He looked at me, stopped, like kind of stunned. Said, can I talk to you a minute? We turned around, we walked to my office. He closed my door. He told me that he had been feeling odd for the last few days, had gone to the doctor that day, had a challenge with his health. They gave him some news that they were going to do some testing for something very serious. He started to cry. I looked at him, you know, tried to be optimistic. We talked about it. We laughed a little bit. We tried to kind of walk through it. I watched him the rest of the night. I told him he should go home. His manager walked in while we were talking. She told him he should go home. But I think the recognition we both had that we genuinely cared about him. We we didn't need him. We could survive without him. But it was funny. He stayed all evening. He did really, really well all evening. And I think it took his mind off something that was kind of scary for this morning. You noticed. Right. And it's that noticing piece that, you know, today, so many people are starving for employees. Like, it, this is the, that's the question we probably get more. Like, how do we keep our employees? How do we keep people build their loyalty? And if you want to know the answer, 
It's this. It's caring, right? It's knowing their names. People want to work for a company where the boss knows their name or where people recognize them or they know, hey, I'm not just Bob in accounting, but I'm Bob in accounting and I'm a huge Cowboys fan and I go fishing on the weekends and my wife is Sue and I have four kids and all the things, right? And it's not that everybody has to be best friends all the time, but it's just, it's on a deeper level of having kind of this community piece. Well, and and I think we really have worked hard at that. And it is, Alex, how's that new kitten that you just got or whatever it is in their family? I mean, as simple as those things are, they're not necessarily big things, but they're just things that show you're focused on their experience. Yeah, and this might be a good place to to bring this up, Troy. But um, so in May, the Surgeon General declared loneliness an epidemic in the United States. And as sort of shocking as that is, uh, it's true. And so today people, you know, technology, we believe it's happened for many reasons, but if you really think about it, like people are so distracted Mm -hmm. with our phones and it's really hard to have deep and meaningful conversations with people anymore um, because everyone's distracted. So like you might start talking about something and then they get a phone call or they get a text or somebody looking at a notification and they're distracted, right? Or especially at work even. And so people are very distracted, which we think is part of the problem. But in addition to that, then COVID happened and people now are working remotely more than ever. You can, there's DoorDash, there's all these things We've made it super easy for people never to leave their home. Amazon's going to deliver to us three times today. Right? Like, (laughs) it's crazy. And so it has only exasperated the issues of people being lonely. And so when we look at that and we say, whoa, that's really sad, but also what an opportunity for employers to create communities within their organizations. Well, and honestly, fill that void. Yeah. I think for decades, the work culture would have imagined sincerely that home got everyone sort of fulfilled. They came in and yeah. work was the task they needed to make money and, and so forth. I've got to argue that I think you and I, when we think about the different states we've lived in, the different communities that we've been around, and especially post-COVID, I will argue all day that sometimes these folks are coming to work to escape maybe loneliness, maybe some real distance at home, and all of a sudden they come in and they belong to something that matters. You know, Troy, you're right. You've been at some of my clubs over the years. I've got a gentleman I work with right now who he is a rock star when he walks into that building. The members love him. You know, all the staff loves him. But I'm not positive that he is as fulfilled when he is not at work. At work. Yeah. And so I think we have to realize as leaders and employers, the opportunity, yeah. and that's the word, the opportunity mm-hmm. we have to fill that giant void in people's lives and to really cover some of this idea of equal. Well, I think we often think like people are getting this elsewhere and the reality is they're not. They're not getting the connection. They're not getting that elsewhere. And again, we say, you don't have to be best friends. Like everybody doesn't have to be, you know, dating or best friends with each other, but maybe it is some social opportunities. Maybe it is like, um, you know, a soccer team or like a baseball team for your company. And you invite everybody to come to the games and everybody gets to come and be social together. Or it is within your four walls where Friday's pizza day and everybody comes for pizza or, you know, and, and that can be a struggle too, because a lot of people are working remotely. There is that distance piece, but there is no replacement for in-person connection. There isn't. That that human connection. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. yeah. And when you think about retaining your best and your brightest folks, you want to spend time with them. 
I'm old school at Navigate. We we have remote work and I, I love it. People, we've taken surveys. We listen to folks. I do love when people come in. We're seeing more and more of that now, being able to bounce around and, and pop in the offices and do that. I think that's bringing energy to people when they're inside their own cubicle and maybe inside their own head sometimes. But like creating that space that they can come to and know that it is a caring environment and it is a community, right? Is what we're building. I think of that as choice is a great retention tool. And when I think about the metrics, Jay, around retention and culture, where does your head go when it comes to like the business impact and the outcomes of that retain and, and that culture that you're able to provide? Yeah, we've been talking a lot about the the sort of softer side of this, which is important, but there's a real business impact to that. Um, I've, I've seen estimates that put the ROI of a good culture at 21% increased profits. Now, That's incredible. Yeah, it, it's crazy. When you talk about culture, one of the key uh, sort of canaries in the coal mine for that is retention. You look at retention, you say, what does it cost me to replace an employee? The estimates vary, but let's take a conservative one of 50 to 75% of someone's annual salary. So in order to replace someone that makes $80,000, you're going to spend upwards of $40,000 to replace them. The most valuable thing you can do from a uh, staffing standpoint is to retain your people, to keep the qualified staff on board. So there's a real world value to maintaining culture. It's not, you know, it's not a soft science. There's a, there's a real, real return here. Now it's a little tough to measure, but you shouldn't have to measure it either, right? Because it's also just the right thing to do. And the right thing to do is the more profitable thing to do in most cases. And Jeremy, we would just add to that, you know, people don't want to leave places mm -hmm. where they feel like they have friends or they feel like they know people and then go, right? Like we talked about going back to a new job where you feel stupid and you don't know anybody. Like right. nobody wants to do that. They're much more likely to stay in an organization where they feel connected and they feel part of it and they have a bigger purpose. And it's also obviously, as you just said, much better for the organization on a number of levels. I would say two things that, that, that I've learned as a leader in listening to our staff um, and even, you know, just the clients that we work with is, is um, people have lives, right? And giving them time to just say, hey, listen, you have your self-care time, go do that. Just put it on your calendar. Don't even worry about it. Just go do that. And so I know we're in our third year now at Navigate and you've got three hours of self-care time to use for your own time. And, and we're like, great, go use that. I would say the other thing that I learned a lot about before I had my daughter was on the maternity side. So we have wonderful maternity benefits, but it was when that mom would come back, but then also having that paternal benefit so the dad could be gone as well, which we added. When you come back those first 30 days, you come back gradually. And so because of that, it allows you to spend more time, one, with your family, your new child, but then getting back into the flow of work and, and getting back into the flow of life. I think that's important. It, it's a fact of listening and understanding that that is going to help that person. And those are the little things we can do to retain and attract the best and brightest folks that are out there. One thing I, I want to talk about, too, is protecting that culture. Companies have built wonderful cultures. I think you got to protect that too, that, that, that cultural code, right? And so when you guys think about, you know, protecting that culture, protecting um, that code with your organizations, how do you show up to that? And how do, how do you measure and monitor that as you're, as you're building staff, you're building teams and you're a new job and a new culture and a new city, new members, 
Talk to me a little bit about that, Jackson 3. Yeah, so it's consistency, right? So the joke is, and we actually talk about this a great deal, culture has the shelf life of a banana. And the reality... One of the most talked about phrases from our book, actually. True story. (laughs) We actually, I think, were a little surprised by that. But it's a funny thing because you can start off with a lot of energy towards, you know, creating the culture and then get busy, you know, going down the line of profit and other things, uh, you know, customer experience, whatever that is. The reality is you've got to stay very consistent throughout the entire period, always knowing you're doing something to help evolve and keep that culture going. And if you excuse an example yesterday, uh, so in the golf world, you have to aerate a golf course. So it's three days of extraordinary hard work, 18-hour days for that crew. I mean, it's really brutal. And so yesterday uh, at noon, the superintendent and I had conspired with the chef to bring 40 guys off the grounds crew in the middle of doing the verification work. And we did a salad, steak, cake, uh, lunch for them, which, you know, we own a restaurant. So let's be honest, it's kind of easy for us to do. So that is kind of a cool benefit. But there are 40 people that have probably not ever had that kind of experience, certainly not at their work. Mm-hmm. And we'd like to hope that today there's 40 of them walking around saying, you guys aren't going to believe what happened to me at work yesterday. Mm-hmm. And those little things continue to add up and continue to remind people about culture. Talk a little bit about the bank. Oh, yeah. Okay. Well, I was going somewhere else, but this, yeah, we could talk about it. So this happens a lot. We're married. So uh, these things happen all the time. But um, so we believe that employees have, like, we kind of reference it as an employee bank, right? That in an employee's mind, when the positive things happen at work, they like put a little money in their bank. When a negative thing happens, they take a little money out. And it's this constant, like daily, which is really terrifying to think about, but it's like a daily thing where people are seriously making a decision on a daily basis of whether they're coming back to work the next day or not, or whether they're going to start looking for a new job. Give more deposits and withdrawals. We have to. You know, it's not even really Troy. Like sometimes we think about like, oh, it's okay. It was just one little bad thing. Yeah, but you don't know that their manager maybe had just, you know, kind of came down on them hard or whatever, that they just got yelled at by a customer or whatever it might be. On top of that one little negative thing, well, they had seven negatives today and only one positive, right? right. So these things add up over time and, you know, kind of bringing it back to this culture piece, you have to keep a pulse on the culture all of the time because culture is a toxic work culture is 10 times more likely to make somebody quit than dissatisfaction with pay. So if we think it doesn't matter, we're wrong. It's got to be a priority. It has to be a constant focus. Well, I would just add, if if that isn't the the main leader's strength, then that's okay. Mm -hmm. You've got to identify someone in your operation who owns that, who owns her point of the pulse Somebody who is immersed in it, feels it, talking to owns people, it, recognizing right. it, really paying attention if something funky is going on or they can tell, you know, a culture is really made up of people's emotions, our feelings, mm-hmm. our attitudes. And so when you're talking about working with 100, 500, 700, whatever, how many hundreds of people, no wonder that it changes so rapidly, right? Like some, you get one or two people that get, you know, bent out of whack and then it snowballs from there. And so we have to, you have to be able to jump on that and address it and say, hey, what's going on, you guys? I noticed like something's happening. Again, that comes back to three knack for being able to identify, you know, a sour mood, right? Or somebody that's not quite up to par because what ends up happening then is that person snaps at somebody else and then that person gets, you know, disgruntled and snaps at somebody else. And then it's just this snowball effect. 
I think one of my favorite phrases that we've had some new folks join us or even clients say, they didn't know it could be like this, mm-hmm. right? Oh. Didn't know they could have a supportive culture and supportive environment. And I would say that we uh, creating those memorable moments is something that we try to figure that out you know, once a quarter, what's a memorable moment that we can provide and really connect back to to what we do at Navigate, but then also give our HR folks ideas around that. Jay, when you think about like showing up for your team on the product side, technology team, how do you create those memorable moments on your team when you think about how you've added a lot of people over the last yeah. few years? Yeah, we have. Um, for me, it's it's one of two things. One, and to me, this one's the most important, is being there when someone needs you. And I don't necessarily mean as a shoulder to cry on, although that's certainly a possibility, or someone to talk to, or someone to bounce an idea off of. But if someone's got something going on, that's a priority, right? Our organization is founded on making sure we're taking care of our people. And if someone's got something, you know, there's a traumatic life event, or they need to take some time off, or they just need to figure things out for themselves, being there, being supportive of that. And the first thing is, are you okay? So creating a memorable experience when you have the opportunity. And then on the other side of the scale, completely opposite end of of the spectrum is, when you have the opportunity to have some fun, when someone comes up with a fun idea, or maybe someone wants to play a prank, embrace it, run with it, keep it on rails. But you know, that's true. See, that's, that's, what, that, that's, that's one of the things I miss in the office because we do that really good. Yeah. We do that really well. We mess with that's people big. and we have a lot of fun. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you never know if your your jelly bellies are going to get you know, replaced with the stinky jelly bellies. And then we sit there watching you or we, we strategically put cookies out and watch on video if Barclay's going to take them all or leave us one. But like, those are the fun things that we get to do. And I, I do kind of miss that. But I'll tell you, you know, when there's five different generations that are in the workforce right now. And I think that when it comes to HR and what we're doing to connect those generations is pretty darn good. Everyone around the country, because it's not easy. I think being able to embrace the change that the remote work has made us take a look at and say, how are we just changing with this? How are we evolving with that? And it is evolving. You're seeing more people come back to the office and and, and I get that. But we think about if we can be a strong culture and we could be a strong service oriented, empathetic, human first culture, profits will come. We're a blessing of that at Navigate where we've seen that happen. Speaking of uh, yes. profits, shameless plug, if you're looking to measure your engagement for what you're doing with your employers, talk to your Navigate account manager <laughs> about our employee engagement survey, our pulse surveys, and the Navigate You assessment. I Thank you for I love it, Jay. Thanks. <laughs> and, and this is technology. It wasn't even sales. But I, that's the kind of things that I think that, you know, three, when I think about three and Jackie, when I think about your guys' work in the hospitality space, you guys are creating a community. You're bringing in families, you're bringing in kids, you're, you're, you're service, wonderful food. Hey, yeah, there's a golf course. I get that. Aeration day is high level stress for any member, right? <laughs> and, but when you think about that, it's just, it's creating communities, rather be at your club, at your church, at your school, at your business, in the communities that you're serving, and then using that variable of the communities at the population health side of things, getting people to volunteer, getting people to engage where their passions are at. That to me also is where if you're supportive of that, that's also a multiplier of retention culture and knowing that your company supports you doing X, Y, and Z. 
So Jeremy, kind of along those same lines, you know, when you talk about being there for people, I have a funny story that I'll share. Um, so I actually work remotely from my office. Um, our publication is based in Dallas and we live in Minneapolis. Um, and I have this woman that I hired a few years ago. Um, she had spent her whole life in pub the publication world and she had retired right before the pandemic hit. She wanted to travel, all these things. Then she comes out to find out she's bored stiff. Her and her husband can't stand it. Being at home together all the time. So she was looking for a part-time job and she came, I snatched her off and she came to work with us. Um, her name's Margie. And I share this story because it kind of blew my mind. So about, uh, I don't know, it was probably about a year after she started working for us. We were talking one day um, over the phone and she goes, Jackie, I just have to tell you, um, my husband tells people that I found my dream job at the age of 65. And she said, I just want you to know you're my favorite boss. And this is really my favorite job. And I sat there on the phone and I was kind of, I wasn't sure if she was joking. I don't know why I thought she was joking because it just, it really caught me off guard. And I said, well, Margie, thank you so much. Oh my gosh. May I ask you why? Like, why do you say that? And she said, you know what? My entire career, I felt as if I was carrying the weight of our publication on my shoulders. I felt like I had to figure everything out on my own. I felt like nobody was really there if I had a question. And she said, every day we talk and you always answer my questions. If we have a problem, you help me figure it out. And she said, you know what? It's real, you're really enjoyable to work with. And she goes, I honestly really love my job. And the punchline is... Jackie has never actually met Margie in person. They have never been <laughs> in the same state. Three years. And uh, yes. And this, it's, high it's high time you might go see Margie. I mean, no, we can talk to Dallas and go see Margie. But, but it's, but I mean, I just want to go see her because her name is Margie. I, I want to meet Margie. And she went to Iowa State humorously. But she, the thing that like the takeaway of it all is people don't want to feel like they're doing it alone, right? They don't want to feel like they're hung out to dry. And so if we can prioritize answering people's questions, being the, just like you said, Jeremy, being there when they need us, whatever it might be, whether that's personally or professionally, it's huge and it really, really matters. Okay, everybody, you know how we end this podcast. If you listened to us before, um, it's the best day ever uh, section. Jeremy, going to kick us off. I want to know a good, give us a best day ever good as we close out. I've got two. One is shameless plugs for Navigate products. Uh, <laughs> in all seriousness, time off. It is essential. It is, in, it is reinvigorating. And it is something that we need to force people to do. To me, it's not about, you know, the, the max on PTO should be the min on PTO. So go out there and take some time off and enjoy. Best day ever for me. You thought you had two. Oh, it was the shameless plugs was the oh, first one. product and then got it. <laughs> Beautiful. Jackie, go ahead. Well, speaking of Margie, you guys, a few weeks ago, she told me she did actually want to retire again. Like she was like ready and, and this whole thing. And on Monday, she decided to stay. She, uh, <laughs> we made a few adjustments. And again, right, people first. I said, Margie, what do we got to do to keep you? Like, what can we adjust? And we're, we're making some tweaks, making some adjustments. And she is staying. So best day ever. Three, what do you got? So mine's a big picture one, right? So weird. Uh, weird. So when you can change the culture of a staff and in our case, the customer base, our membership in the same moment and pull off what is ultimately a vision, the best day ever is that moment. So it's a hundred year anniversary of our club. We have been doing all these hundred year things, which culminated in a party on July the 22nd. We had like 1,500 people in it. And it started at 7.30 in the morning. We had all these different sections. 
And at the end of the night, we had these two unbelievably huge bands. One was literally Prince's band. And then one was even the bigger band. And we're doing this whole show and there's 500 people on this giant stage and our staff is going crazy. The members are dancing and screaming and like, I mean, just losing it. And we're wrapping it up and it's getting to the end. I get really emotional because for eight months, we've worked on building this culture. We've been telling everyone they can do it. We've been telling the members we could do something they have no idea that we could do. And then the band is going to finish. And they're playing that last song. And at that moment, you know that everything that was in the vision happened exactly the way you thought it would. And the long-term benefit of that is the members believe you can. And best of all, the employees know they can. Best day ever. That's awesome, three. Like, he was like, did a little cheering there, too. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm fighting back tears over here. I love it, man. That's awesome. I can't wait to come up and, and see you in Minnesota, man. Um, my best day ever has to be, it goes back to having 150 plus people in Bozeman, Montana, and had them get off the bus, and, and they're looking out at Bodie Farms, and they're from New York and L.A. and Seattle and, and, and Dallas, Texas, and they're looking at this, and they're seeing this beautiful blue sky, and they're just like, what in the world are these guys doing it, navigate at this place. And I love that. And I have to say, my other one is uh, this past weekend, my family and I were in Charleston, South Carolina, um, and we were able to spend some time on the USS Yorktown. And we had five retired uh, midshipmen in their 70s and 80s walk us around um, the USS Yorktown and taught us some wonderful history and and, uh, talked about our country and the Navy and everything. And I'm sitting there going, I'm on an aircraft carrier with these five guys talking to me about the history of our country and the Naval Academy and this ship. And I'm like, this is awesome. My wife's like going, keep it together, keep it together. But beautiful skies. I'll tell you, Charleston, South Carolina, Greenville, South Carolina, Columbia, South Carolina, starting to become one of my favorite places at state of South Carolina. So anywho, it was good. It was, it was just super good. Well, hey, thank you guys for joining us. As always, I appreciate the energy, appreciate how you guys you know, connect your passion for people to what you do every single day. It's a great book. If you guys haven't seen this already, um, just hit Amazon uh, anywhere you can. You can get uh, the People First book. Go buy a book. Um, make this a New York Times bestseller. Um, it's worth it. Also, all the people at navigate. Thank you for what you do every single day for others. Continue to like and uh, give us input on our podcast, and uh, we'll see you soon. Thanks, everybody. Everybody. Thanks, everyone. Thanks.